the 41st chapter and verse 42. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word that brings life to us. I just ask you, God, to help us to receive it. Let us be open and respond to what you want to do in our lives. And we thank you for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you for just a little while this morning on a power transfer. Would you say that with me? Power transfer. How many of you have ever experienced a power transfer? You ever hook up cables to a car battery and get them hooked up wrong? Power transfer. Letting you know they're in the wrong place. I used to work in a wire factory and I got a hold of a, I had some cutters in my hand and the insulation was gone, so it was metal. And we had that wire was, you'd strip it off on the back and it was on a big metal reel and then you would ground it on that reel so that as it ran through that sparker box that was shooting like 15,000 volts of electricity through it, it would, you didn't get shocked. Well, unbeknownst to me, I was at the end of the reel. It had pulled off, and the bare copper was setting in the sparker box when I cut into it. I got 15,000 volts of electricity through my hand on bare metal cutters, and when I did, Man, it was like a shout to the Lord. I, I, I cut into that and my hand went like that. I don't know where those cutters went, but they went flying across the plant someplace. And I thought, oh, I felt that. <laughs> Power transfer. Have you ever had it? You know, where there, there's something that takes place. This is what happened to Joseph. You've got to understand something, though. Joseph didn't just go from wind up in the palace with a ring on his finger, there was a journey that he went through. Everybody say a journey. Look, it's important for us to remember the journey because if we don't remember the journey, then we're going to forget the lessons that the journey teaches us. How many of you have ever had God teach you a lesson? I had a horse teach me a lesson once. He taught me not to pet horses up around their nose. He bit me right in the hand. I mean, just, clamp, and I thought, how rude. Just clamped down on my hand. I've learned lessons in life. I've learned that you do not pull a car into low going down a hill on ice. I learned that lesson. How many of you know that some of the lessons we learn are hard lessons? I can tell you this, I've never pulled a car in low again on ice because they're lessons that I remember. Here's a problem. If you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it. 
And so you have to learn from the history of your journey. If you don't, you're destined to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. So let's take a look at Joseph's journey. See, we look at him and all we see is a young guy getting a ring put on his finger by Pharaoh in the palace. But there was so much more to his journey than that. If that's the only part of that you see, then you are going to remain discouraged your whole life when you start going through stuff. But when you know Joseph's complete story, it helps you to understand that the stuff I'm going through leads someplace. How many of you have ever had some bad things happen to you? How many of you ever had some bad people cause some bad things to happen to you? How many of you ever had some bad things happen to you and it's your own fault that they happened to you? Nobody really wants to raise their hand on that one, do we? I told you about being in chef's class and having that blender fall off in the dishwater and it was plugged in and I thought, Grant, I've got to get that out of there. And I reached in before I unplugged it. Man, it knocked a fire out of me. I learned so much from that lesson, I yanked that hand out and stuck the other hand in. God, don't laugh at me. <laughs> it's, and, and so it's like, you know, you either learn from history or what? You're testing. Man, that was a little too soon to be repeating it. But we, that's what happens. And so Joseph's life starts out. He's the darling of his father. He was born in Jacob's old age. And he is, don't anybody get offended at what I'm going to say, but he is for Jacob, what we would commonly refer to as a snitch. His job is to let Jacob know what his brothers are doing. How many of you grew up that way? I was the youngest in my family. It fell my lot to tell on everybody else. And I did it very well. I, I made sure that mom and dad knew what Daryl was doing. I remember one day Daryl was sitting in the living room smoking a pipe. He had cherry tobacco on top, but I knew what marijuana smelled like. I walked into the kitchen and told my dad, I said, Daryl's sitting in the living room smoking marijuana. Dad walked in there, he took that pipe, he emptied it out, and under that cherry tobacco, magically seeds appeared. Dad snapped that pipe in half and he said, don't you ever bring that into this house again. My loving brother looked at me and said, I'm going to kill you. I said, bring it on. I was standing right behind my dad. <laughs> And so Joseph finds himself in a place that he's been positioned and he's telling on his brother. Now, to add to this misery, Joseph has been having dreams. Any of you ever have a dream before? How many of you have ever had a dream that came from God? You know what I mean? How many of you ever had a dream that came from pizza? We've, we've, we've had them both, right? But the difference is discerning where it came from. I've had dreams that I knew came from God, and I've had other dreams that I knew came from dominoes. And so it's, it's learning to discern those things and trying to figure out what do I do with my dreams. See, here's a mistake that sometimes we make. We share our dreams with others and we think 
that they'll celebrate us. But sometimes those dreams agitate them, and they're not celebrating us at all. As a matter of fact, Jacob sent Joseph to go check on his brothers when he was in Shechem. And when he got to Shechem, they were no longer there. They were 12 miles. I believe it was 12 miles due north from there. They were in a place called Dothan. And when he got to Dothan and they saw him coming from a distance, the first words out of their mouth was, Behold, that dreamer cometh. Do you understand that Joseph's dreams became a sore spot to them? Everybody's not going to celebrate you, folks. Even when God has put something in your life, even when God, and and you know that God has a purpose for you, everybody's not going to celebrate that. So you just need to get used to that. But here's what you've got to understand. If your focus is on getting accolades and acceptance from other people, you're going to live a very difficult life because you'll constantly be changing trying to please them. But if you get your focus on God, then it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you or what anybody else says about you because your focus isn't on them anymore. It's on him. They plot to kill him over his dreams. He had shared his dreams innocently enough. He wasn't trying to brag on himself. I think it was, I, you know, I, I, there's no way that I can know for sure, but I think Joseph is just saying, man, I had this dream that was in. But when you've got brothers and sisters, you know, everybody say my siblings. How many of you loved your brothers and sisters? I mean, you know, you, you loved them. You, there were times that you'd have loved them just. And so... Joseph went to them and he said, man, I had this neat dream. I dreamt that we were all bundles of wheat. And my bundle stood up and your, your guys' bundles all bowed down. Isn't that neat? No. Then it went on. He said, I had this other dream. There were 11 stars and the sun and the moon, and, and they all, you know, worshipped. And, 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 and then his father got involved. Do, do you really think that your mother and I and your brothers are going to bow and worship you? And he, it was kind of a rebuke that Jacob gave to Joseph, but in Jacob's heart, he pondered what those things meant. You know, when your dreams threaten your life you have to make a decision am I going to continue to embrace what God has done for me what God is speaking to me or am I going to capitulate and become what everybody else wants me to be you're going to cross that road sometime and if you Here's a secret. If you'll stay true in your heart to your relationship with God, he will cause you to find the strength to stand in the midst of adversity. 
His brothers go after him. They rip up the coat his father gave to him. They throw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. And Reuben rescued him and said, man, don't kill him. And, you know, let's just throw him in this pit. And, and, and Reuben planned to come and get him later. But while Reuben's gone, they sold him as a slave. And he's, when Reuben gets back, Joseph is gone. And so are his dreams. Let me share something with you. People can step on your dreams But if God gave them to you, those dreams will never be crushed in the dust. They will rise up just like Lazarus. I like that song, don't you? (laughs) And so he finds himself sold as a slave in the Potiphar's home. You know, how many of you have ever had some bad stuff happen in your life? Wave your hand at me. Here's something you, you, you need to remember, because we've got this bad habit of making the assumption, the assumption that when something bad is happening to us, we must have done something wrong. That it must be, you know, that I'm, I'm, God must really be mad, mad at me about something, or this wouldn't be happening. There's a scripture in the Bible that talks about he works everything for good, to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. It did not say that everything that happens is good. It said that your God has a miraculous way of taking what the devil tried to use to destroy you and turning it around and working it for good. (laughs) Aren't you glad that God, boy, that just burns the devil's hide. Somebody shout hallelujah. (laughs) You know, you want to give the devil a hot foot, No pun intended. Praise God. Thank him for what you're going through, even when you don't understand what you're going through. So here's Joseph in this dilemma. He's a slave, but God, in the midst of the persecution that Joseph felt like had befallen him, takes Joseph and right in the middle of that mess, raises him up to the top. Wow. That ought to give you some hope. You may feel like you're on the bottom of the barrel right now. Just keep breathing. You're going to float to the top. Joseph becomes literally the most powerful person in Potiphar's house. Potiphar doesn't even have to think about anything except what he's going to eat. (laughs) And so Potiphar's wife casts longing eyes at Joseph. Everybody say, Joseph looked good. And he, she kept trying, you know, and here's the thing, man. Thank God. Let, let me just say this to the guys, okay, ladies, you're exempt from this for just a second. But guys, don't let your ego take you to a place that you're going to wish to goodness you never made the trip. What are you talking about? Guys' egos are very delicate. If you want to find out how fragile your ego is, there's a great clip for you to watch a series literally on this is called the Andy Griffith show and watch Barney Fife and watch how his ego fluctuates when 
a girl started talking good to Barney. Barney, throw that lip out, throw that chest out. And it got him in more trouble. Joseph knew better. Joseph looked at Potiphar's wife and he said, look, there's no one in your husband's house that's more powerful than I am and you're the only thing that he's kept from me. How could I do this and sin again? Now, this is what I want you to notice. Joseph's focus is not on himself. You're going to make, man, I'm not going to take a risk of messing everything up. I got a good position here and I don't want to lose it. That's not what his focus is on. His focus isn't on her. No, you'd feel horrible about, you know, doing that to your husband. That's not where his focus is on. His focus isn't on Potiphar. He said, no, man, that would destroy your, you know, his confidence. That would crush him. I can't do that. His focus was on God. He said, how could I do this and sin against God? When we get our focus on God, we'll never have to worry about getting out of balance with something because God becomes the equilibrium. When we focus on him, he keeps our path right. She tells a lie on him. He goes to prison over it. And he's thinking, man, have you ever been to a place in your life where you felt like things can't get any worse? And then they did. That's where he's at. He's thinking, man, I can't believe this. I'm in prison over something I didn't even do. God, I don't understand this. I mean, I was doing what was right. Anybody ever been there? I was doing what was right, and you end up paying a price for it. You just hold on, friend, because when you do what's right, you're also going to get a reward for it. <laughs> you may have to wait a little bit on it, but it's coming your way. He's in prison. Now, you know, if you would have went to Joseph and asked him how he felt about all this, he'd have told you, this isn't right. As a matter of fact, that ends up coming out because there's a chief butler and a chief baker that get thrown into that prison. They, they worked for Pharaoh. Everybody say chief butler. Hey, this, this, look, man, this guy's job, he's the chief butler. His job is not just handing Pharaoh his cup. As a chief butler, he would have overseen his vineyards. He made sure the wine was good. As a chief baker, he's not just in there making hostess ho-hos. He is over the kitchen. Everybody say the kitchen. Whatever they did that made him mad landed them in prison. But God's got a way of connecting all the dots if you'll just let him. They have dreams and they're upset one day because they can't figure out the, what the dreams are. And so Joseph says, well, look, man, dreams belong to God. Tell me what your dream was. Well, and he interprets the dreams. He tells the butler, he said, in three days, he said, you're going to be handing Pharaoh his cup again. And he looks at the baker and he said, news isn't so good for you, friend. He said, in three days, birds are going to be plucking the flesh off of your head. Three days later, it happens. He looked at the butler after he interpreted his dream. Look at his confidence. He knows it's going to happen. When we begin to lay hold of the promise of God with that kind of confidence, where's he at? He's in prison, but he understands that his prison does not confine God's ability, and neither does your prison confine him. He's able to work above and beyond where you find yourself at. He tells the butler, he said, remember me when you go to Pharaoh. He said, look, I, I, I was sold 
as a slave, I was stolen captive. He said, and I, I haven't done anything to deserve being placed in this prison. The butler ends up in Pharaoh's presence three days later, holding him, a, handing his cup, and he totally forgets Joseph. Have you ever felt like you were forgotten? You ever had a birthday go by and never got the card? Anniversary passed and your spouse, this is a cue, guys, mark it on the calendar. Anniversary goes by and your spouse doesn't remember and you feel forgotten. God will never forget you. He said he's faithful not to forget your labor of love. Let me ask a question. It's two full years before the butler remembers Joseph, and the only reason he remembers Joseph is because Pharaoh's had a dream. What do you think Joseph would have done had the butler gone in and told Pharaoh two years earlier and Pharaoh released him? What would Joseph have done? Anybody? Joseph would have gone home. Let me, let me rephrase this for you so you understand this a little bit better. It's clear. Joseph would have gone right back to the place he started from. Now, hear what I'm telling you. God did not bring you this far for you to wind up right back where you started. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Excuse me. And just because you're experiencing some things that are uncomfortable doesn't mean he's not at work in your life. Just because you're going through some stuff doesn't mean he's forgotten you. The very thing you're going through could be the road that's paving the way for the promise that he has in your life. He remembers They'd snatch Joseph up out of prison that quick. They snatch him out of prison. They scrub him up, give him a shave, and he's standing before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh pays Joseph a compliment. He looks at Joseph and he said, I've heard that you're able to interpret dreams. This is one thing that I pray that God help me always remember. This is not about me. This is all about him. And Joseph looked at Pharaoh and he said, I'm not able to do that, but God will give Pharaoh an answer to his dreams. What's he doing? He's saying, it's not me. It's the God I serve. And so he starts in and he tells him, he said, look, Pharaoh tells his dream, there's seven skinny cows, seven fat cows, skinny cows ate the fat cows and they're still skinny. Seven fat stalks of grain, seven skinny stalks of grain, skinny stalks consume the fat stalks and they're still skinny. What's that about? And he looked at him and he said, look. He doesn't barter with Pharaoh. He doesn't say, I'll give you the interpretation if you set me free. We need to learn to do what's right simply because it's right. Not to try and 
profit from it somehow, but just trust that if you do what's right, God will raise you up. And so he tells them the interpretation, and then he tells them what he ought to do. He said, look, you're going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, and the famine will be so bad that you'll forget all the years of plenty. So you need to take a man and set him up to collect one-fifth of all the harvest during those plenteous years so that when the famine comes, you can survive. And that's all he did. He gave him what to do. He didn't barter for a position. He didn't do anything. He is a prisoner in Pharaoh's palace for one moment, and the next moment, he becomes a prince in Pharaoh's palace. You've got to understand that God can take you from chaos to calm when you trust him. When you trust him. Pharaoh looked at that man. He looked at his advisors and he said, well, who are we going to find any wiser than this man is? And then he does something unique. If you would throw that slide up. He takes the ring off of his finger and he slides it on Joseph's finger. Do you understand what that meant? A ring symbolized authority. A ring symbolized power. Run up here, babe. It's, it's, it's like that when we got married, when we got engaged, I slid a ring on her finger. And do you know what that ring meant? That ring meant that everything that I have is yours. And when she accepted the ring, she was saying that I promise to be faithful to you. Pharaoh puts that ring on Joseph and he said, behold, today I have put you in charge over all of Egypt. <laughs> I hear what I'm saying. All of the heartache, all of the heartbreak was gone in a moment because he held on to the promise of God. The dreams in his heart were not cast aside. Don't throw your dreams away. Give God the opportunity to get you where he wants you and on the road to where he wants you maybe a little bumpy. I was doing mission work in Mexico. Man, we got, I thought we weren't even in a road. We were in a riverbed. Driving down this dry riverbed, bouncing around, man. It's my first, first trip into Mexico, and they take me to this place, and I'm not even leading a group this, at this point. I hadn't started doing trips down there. I was making a trip down there. And they took me to a place and they warned me before we got there and they said, look, they said these people haven't had the gospel in here in 20 years, so don't expect much. And I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do? I, you know, and, I, and I, on the way out there, it's a bumpy ride. Everybody say bumpy. I'm trying to touch, I'm trying to get in touch with God. I need some smooth sailing. I need people to be quiet. They're talking. I need to hear harp music. I don't hear nothing, man, but the pickup truck needed shocks. It's just jarring me around, and I get out there, and on the way there, that rough ride, I, I said, God, and man, I'm telling you, this is one of those moments where it was, oh, I'm praying and I'm seeking God. I said, God, man, they haven't heard anything. Where, where, where would I start? And in that rough ride, getting my liver jostled around, all of a sudden I heard God speak to me and say, where do you always start? At the beginning. 
And I'm telling you, in just a few moments from that rough ride, I watched the power and the presence of God come underneath a shade tree where people were at, and they broke down and began to weep and cry and give their hearts to God. Don't tell me that it's not worth the journey. Don't tell me that it's not worth the discomfort. When you see people's lives transformed, it's worth every moment of it. Kelsey's been given or gave her testimony or, or it was on broadcast yesterday and I was watching from in the office and as I watched her begin to be very transparent about where she was and about the struggle that she had. Man, something just gripped my heart and I thought to myself, you know what? This, her testimony is going to transform people's lives because for the first time, well, maybe not the first time, but when they see her, they're seeing somebody that's not putting on the facade. Praise the Lord. I gave my heart to God three weeks ago, and I've been walking on water ever since. I mean, she was transparent. Matter of fact, she was so transparent. Right after she got saved, she had a setback, and she got up in front of everybody and, you know, and said, well, I got drunk again. As a pastor, I'm in the back going, oh, I still my beating heart. I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. That's what she said. What I am saying is this. It's why is it that we feel like we can't be honest with God? He knew what she'd done. And it was in her honesty that it began to touch other people's lives. I watch comments start going up. She, she's been three weeks, and she said, man, I haven't had a drink. And she talked about how she wanted to. She wanted to. Nobody ever admits that stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, this guy just flipped me off while I was driving down the road, and I just said, bless you, brother. <laughs> Nobody ever says, I chased him for three miles. And then God finally, you know, I prayed about it, and I felt like, well, I better not. Besides that, I saw five other guys in the car. The transparency and being real is what gives people hope. And she talked. I hope this is okay. Maybe I should have asked before. It's a little late now. Don't ever tell me anything, folks. It'll wind up in the pulpit. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I shouldn't have said that. Debbie's going, no, don't tell them that. <laughs> Your secrets are safe with me. That wasn't a secret, was it? <laughs> okay. Now, I know it wasn't. She'd already told everybody else. So, what I'm saying is this, is I watch people begin to respond to her. And, and they were, Kelsey, they were in your corner cheering for you. Because they know what it's like to be on a rough road, too. Transformed. Joseph receives power and authority from a ring. There's a true story about two guys that were buddies. One's name was Arthur and the other was Skinner. They were high school buddies, and they were inseparable, man. They did everything together. They played ball together. They went out on dates together, not dating each other, but, you know, had double dated. And, and they, they, they were just 
pals. So when one of them joined the army, the other one did too. They rode the same troop ship to the Philippines. And once they got to the Philippines, that's when they got separated and one went to one regiment and another to a different one. Time passed by, and the next time that Arthur saw Skinner, he saw him in a prison camp in a place called the Zero Ward. It's where they put everybody that was dying. And when Arthur saw Skinner there, his heart dropped. His friend saw him and his dulled eyes lit up and he watched him stand and he said, man, it was death walking. Skinner weighed 79 pounds. He walked over to him, pain and disease racked his body. Arthur said, man, I hurt so bad for him. I, I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. And, and we talked, and he said, I didn't really know what to say. He said, but I knew that I only had five minutes because Arthur had become a prisoner too. But he was still in good shape. He reached up to a scarf that was around his neck, and there was a knot that was tied, and he started loosening it up, and he had smuggled in a high school class ring. It was gold, and he knew that there might be a time that he needed medicine or food, so he had kept that to be able to bargain with, but he knew that Skinner needed it now, and he untied that knot, and he stuck it in Skinner's hand, trying to make sure no one saw, because it would certainly cost him a beating if they discovered it. When Skinner saw what had been placed in his hand, he, he looked at his friend and he said, Arthur, I can't take this. And Arthur said, you will take this. He said, you wheel and deal, my friend. Wheel and deal. And Arthur turned and walked away, not knowing if he would ever see his friend alive again. Skinner took the ring and he buried it in the ground in the barracks. The next day he... He dug it up and he took the biggest risk of his life and he found the friendliest guard in that barracks and he slid the ring to the guard through the fence. Guard opened his hand and took it and when he looked at it, he said, valuable. Skinner said, yes, it's valuable. Guard stuck it in his pocket and walked away. Skinner didn't see the guard or hear anything for days. But after a few days passed, all of a sudden, that guard came walking by, and he dropped medicine at Skinner's feet. And Skinner picked the medicine up, and it began to treat the disease that was in his body. For the next several days, there were other packages that started dropping at Skinner's feet. Medicine, food, and clothing. Within three weeks' time, Skinner was able to stand on his feet. Within three months' time, Skinner walked out of the zero ward back into a healthy place. 
to his knowledge, he was the only American that ever came out of the zero ward alive. What caused it? A ring. A ring that symbolized authority and power. But can I tell you that the ring symbolized more than that? Because for Skinner, for Arthur, the ring was saying, Skinner, you are valuable to me. You may think that your life is over. You may feel like you've got nothing to offer. But my friend, I'm willing to lay it all in your hand and let you know that you are valuable, that you have worth. You say, well, what's that got to do with us, pastor? My mind goes to another boy that found himself in a mess. He told his actions said volumes to his father. His actions said, I don't need you, and I don't want you anymore. What I want is your stuff. And he walked away with half of the father's inheritance split between him and his brother. And he went out, and he messed up. Anybody in here ever messed up before? Oh, go ahead. Let me straighten my time in it. Let me get on my Sunday best and let me act like that I float on clouds. I got news for you. I've spent more time digging myself up off of the ground than I ever have floating on clouds. But in the midst of that, I found that there was a God that was faithful. This boy finds himself at the end of it. He had friends as long as he had money. Can anybody relate to that? As long as he had a pocket full of bills, he had a room full of friends. But when the money ran out, so did his friends. He got so hungry. I want you to hear my heart because sometimes we read Scripture, but we read it like it's just a story. It's not a story. It's history. Those people existed. They were real. That boy gets so hungry that he desires to eat slop with hogs. Before I judge him too hastily, I need to remind myself I've eaten some slop on my own. And then all of a sudden, in that place, he came to himself. And when he came to himself, his thinking changed. How many of you have ever had God change your way of thinking? This is what he says. He says to himself, he said, man, what am I doing here? Even even my dad's servants have food left over after dinner. I'm starving. I know dad would never take me back home. I know I've messed up and I've gone too far for him to ever call me his son. But maybe, maybe he would just let me go to work for him. I'm just so hungry and I'm tired of where I'm at. So he starts the journey home and he rehearses the speech in his mind. Father, I've sinned before you and God, and I'm no, worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son, but please let, please let me be a servant. Dad, I, I want to come home. 
as he got close, all of a sudden, his practice speech is interrupted by a father running to embrace him, grabbed him up in his arms and begin to hold on to him. And the boy immediately kicks into the speech and he goes, oh, father, he said, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven and I'm nowhere longer worthy to be called your son. But he never got the rest of it out because his father interrupted him and said, get me the best robe, bring a ring, kill the fatted calf, put shoes on his feet because my son that was dead is alive again he's home there's a transfer of power that's happening you say what are you getting at do you don't miss what happened Sometimes we get the cap and we get the rope, but you need to remember that there's a ring that was placed on his son's hand. That ring symbolized his father's authority, his father's power. It was in the son's mind that he was worth nothing. It was in the brother's mind that he was worth nothing. But in the father's mind, he was worth it all. Do you understand how much he loves you? Not because of what you've done, but in spite of it. Because of whose you are. Would you stand with me? Your kid might be acting up and you're upset with him. Let somebody else try and correct your child. And they're going to quickly learn how much you love them. But he said this to me, so I slapped him. Why did you just slap me? (laughs) Because you slapped him. And when you slap him, you're slapping me. I hope you get what I'm saying. It's not about how you feel about yourself. It's not about how low you got or how bad you messed up. It's about the fact that he loves us. He sees you not as you see yourself. He sees you with great worth, with great value. As a matter of fact, he loved us so much, he'd rather die for us than live without us. That, my friend, is the love of the Father. Would you just stretch your hands to heaven and thank him for it right now? Pastor, what happened to Arthur and Skinner? They made it out of the war alive. They wound back up in their hometown in Pennsylvania. And Skinner came over one day and handed Arthur a box. Arthur knew what it was before he opened it. Skinner looked at him and said, you be careful with that. It cost me $18. When Arthur opened the box, it was a replica of his class ring. And he looked at him and he said, Artie, 
That ring saved my life. Pastor, what's that got to do with us? It was just a replica. It wasn't the ring. My friend, we are the bride of Christ. He has slipped a ring on our finger. He has transferred power to us. He said, do you understand that your wife can go out and make a legal binding contract? Because she's one with you. It was not the ring. Just a replica. What are you getting at? I'll never, I'll never be able to repay him for what he did for me. But what I can do, Ray, is I can do my best to reflect his image. If you will, I know I'm not the original, but maybe I can be a replica. Maybe I can just be a son or a daughter of God and say, here I am, Lord. I'm forever in your debt. Thank you for that transfer of power. You're in this place today and you're struggling. You say, you know, I've just had some things happen. I've had this go on and that go on. Don't let it steal your dreams. Don't let the journey robbed you of your final destination keep going keep going there's a man that was mountain climbing he slipped and he fell wedged in between two rocks by his arm He was there for several days trying to get unwedged, and he couldn't. He was just stuck. He had to ask himself a question. Am I just going to give up and die? Am I going to let this travesty rob me of my final destination or will I choose to move forward after 127 hours he grabbed his pocket knife and he started cutting his arm off he put a tourniquet on it and he walked out of there alive today he bears the scar but he's living the life here's the good news it wasn't our arm it was his hands he took the nails he bore the scar so our journey could continue Why don't you give him praise and thanks for it right now. Thank you, Father. 
you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I, I need him. I need him. I, I've got to have him. I want you to step out from where you're at right now. Prayer partners are going to come. I want you just to step out from where you're at and let God reaffirm to you just how valuable you are, how much you're worth. As you're praying, I'm going to ask Kelly and Jim to come if they would today. John, I'm sorry. I got the J right. I knew this little girl. Well, she's not little anymore, but I mean, I knew her before she was a teenager. Let me, let me talk to you. For, is this okay? I guess I should ask. I always get permission afterwards. I knew her before she was a teenager. And now she's a mother of three children. Let me share with you the power of the broadcast. When everything was shut down, we were streaming. And one day, I saw Kelly pop up on Facebook page. She'd found the live stream. And she was watching it. You don't get through life without bumps in the road, John. But when they hit a bump, they came here. Because you guys have been praying. You guys have been seeking God, asking that he would use us. Their lives have already been impacted. I'm going to pray for them today, and they're going home different than they came. As a matter of fact, they're already different than they were when they came. Would you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now if you guys would just step this way? Sometimes we worry, we worry about the journey. We try and figure out why has it been so hard. I can only tell you my personal experience. Anytime my journey got difficult, it was because there was a new chapter getting ready to open up in my life and in that new chapter God was writing me a new victory that didn't just affect my life but it affected lives around me and so you got to push hard sometimes you just got to make up your mind I'm not quitting I'm not giving up I'm going forward and in the going forward you find that transfer of power that's what Jesus was talking about in Acts when all of a sudden, you know, he's died and now they're gathered together. And he told them, he said, now you wait here, he said, because there's something coming to you. And he said, you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. God does not leave us powerless. Would you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now? My heart has been in your sights. Long before my first breath, running into your arms is running to life from death. I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is. 
once you've gone down that road you're a voice and a light to others and you're able to let them know that road is not a dead end <laughs> that road has a plan and a purpose and God is going to walk that purpose out in both of you would you give them a big hand and let's just thank God for them thank you guys for being here heart Love has been in your sights long before words I'm done with the hiding there's no reason to wait you don't need to wait any longer you need to raise your hands and say God here I am have your way in my life would you do it right now come on just can I can I share part of my excitement with you it's because I look around and I see what God is doing in lives and I'm so excited because, look, ministry doesn't just happen from here. True ministry happens when we take it out there. And I'm not, I, look, you say, well, Pastor, you better get out there. No, 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 man. It's a house filled with ministers that are going out and God is using you and stirring up the gift that is uniquely yours. Nobody else has got it. It's like your fingerprint. It's yours and yours alone. Somebody may have the same circumstance, but they haven't been through it like you walked through it. And you're going to use that for his glory and he's going to use you to let others know he's alive and well in Jesus' name. Listen, I can't shake this. Daryl, would you come forward? I have seen a change in this man over the last few weeks, and you got something to say. What has happened to you? 
don't know what to say. God is good. God rescued me. God, I, I, and I prayed a prayer just now that I've never prayed before. I've always heard the the prodigal son story. I've always wanted to come back to the father's house and I wanted to sit at his table. Today I pray, I'll just be his servant. God, just make me your servant. I will come to you and do whatever you say. And if you, I really did want to say something else. Okay. If you don't know what Overcomers is about, it's for everyone's spiritual sickness. Addiction is a side effect. Anger, overeating, alcohol, all that, that's the side effect. It is for your spiritual illness. And if you have a spiritual illness, which we all do, right, we all right. inherited that. So come Thursday, come Thursday, come talk with us, come give your illness to him. That is what we're there for. We love you, he loves you and that's, I don't know. That's all. That's awesome. I love you. Man. I love you Boy, Ray awesome. set that up, awesome. didn't you? That was. <laughs> hey, if that's not a plug for overcome, look, here's what it's about. You know, sometimes we, we bear stigma and we say, oh, you know, I don't want to go to overcomers because, you know, I don't want anybody to know I have a problem. Newsflash we all know you got a problem. Everybody knows I got a problem. The problem is a guy that looks me in the mirror every morning, and when I get him under the blood, my problem becomes my testimony. Amen. Come on, can you give him a hand clap of praise? We love you today. Ask God's blessing over your life. Remember, you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that God's going to bless you going in and coming out. And you, my friend, have received a transfer of power in Jesus' name. Long before my